0: Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab. Adventures on the Edge of What We Think We Know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Markets move in cycles. Of course, we talk about that quite a lot in this program. And for a variety of reasons, there is a suspicion right now that even beyond the numbers, Financial markets may be heading into an historic downswing. In the 50s, 60s, and 70s, which will be astonishing to your listeners, Wall Street was a backwater. The city of London was not. It was a wasteland. Nobody went to those places. Then we've had a long bull market, but that's finished. Finance is now going to be a terrible place to be. That's Jim Rogers making that prediction, chairman of Rogers Holdings and Beeland Interest. He was on our program last week. And if his prediction comes true, the declining influence of banks might have as a consequence of freeing up markets from the manipulation of big players like Standard Chartered and Bank of America and J.P. Morgan, uh, banks and names that have been in the headlines for not necessarily very positive reasons this summer. The metaphor of the marketplace has made its way into almost every aspect of civic life. If left to themselves, do markets produce magic Michael Sandel is a professor of political philosophy at Harvard University. His most recent book is What Money Can't Buy, The Moral Limits of Markets. Michael Sandel, welcome to the program. It's good to be with you, John. How, how do we deconstruct this notion of the marketplace and its magic, that somehow through the logic of, I guess, Rousseau maybe originally, that uh, it, it all sort of works as long as uh, governments and maybe some big corrupt players stay out of the way? What do you think?
1: Well, I think that if you look at the past three decades, since the early 80s, we've lived through a period of market triumphalism. We've drifted, almost without realizing it, from having a market economy to becoming a market society. The difference is this. A market economy is a tool, a valuable and effective tool for organizing productive activity, but a market society is different. It's a place where almost everything is up for sale. It's a way of life in which market values reach into almost every sphere of life, from health to education to criminal justice to military service to citizenship. So I think the the problem is bigger than banks, bigger than the financial industry. I think we need to have a public debate about where markets serve the public good and where they don't belong.
0: And there is this sense that uh, the natural state is for the market to control everything. And what you're saying is, if you look at history, that is completely at odds with the way societies have run uh, for for centuries, yes?
1: Yes, yes. This, this faith, the and it is a kind of faith, that markets are the primary instrument for achieving the public good. This is largely a product of the last three decades, at least in the intensity and the pervasiveness of it. Today, in Santa Barbara, California, if you're sentenced to jail and can afford it, you can buy a prison cell upgrade. In Dallas, Texas, you, they they pay third graders $2 for each book they read in hopes of motivating academic achievement. In Iraq and Afghanistan, there were more paid military contractors on the ground then there were U.S. military troops. Now, this isn't because we had a public debate about whether we wanted to outsource war to private companies, but this is what has happened. And after the financial crisis, I think most people expected that there would be a a debate about the moral limits of markets, but surprisingly, that has not really happened. That's the great missing debate, I
0: think, in our public life. What would that debate look like? Because it's got to be more than simply uh, bankers are bad or greed is immoral. There's got to be a metaphor really to replace this notion that incentives can steer everybody into the proper course for the public good that, you know, folks like uh, Bill Gates of Microsoft has used as an argument to completely retool the notion of charity in the world.
1: Well, I think it's a a good question. What would that public debate look like? It would have to go beyond the kinds of things we debate today. We've had some debate about regulatory reform in the wake of the financial crisis, and we're now seeing some debate about the role and reach of of the welfare state. But uh, what I have in mind is a, a, a more fundamental debate where we reason together and argue together as part of our public discourse about the kinds of attitudes and values, even the civic virtues, that should govern uh, aspects of life ranging from health to education to citizenship. And that's a difficult debate to have because what we have to ask, take the example of whether it's a good idea to pay children for good grades in school to motivate performance or to read books. We really have to ask, will the money the cash incentive crowd out values and attitudes toward teaching and learning, in this case, that we care about. And so that means we have to argue about the meaning and the value of social goods and practices, such as education and health and citizenship. And when we debate... uh, whether there should be sales of kidneys, of the human body, how to value these things. And we're not very good these days at debating in public controversial questions about values, about how to value social practices, uh, because we fear, I think, the... Uh, the disagreements that will result, but I think we need a morally more robust kind of public discourse that takes on the question of where markets may crowd out non-market values and attitudes worth caring about.
0: You know, here's what, and you know, I love this conversation because it really gets my mind just racing. Here, here's what I wish: I wish that in our civic discourse we could figure out what it is we agree on and set those things up as shared values and institutions that will actually implement those values. For instance, we wouldn't be arguing about health care if we could just figure out what we agree about regarding the government supplying health care or there being a guarantee for health care. Just set that up and we can debate about the rest of the stuff. The reason why school is compulsory in the United States is that apparently everybody agrees that it should be, period, the end, we agree about so little, it seems. Well, take the example of,
1: of the the purpose of public school. There, re, there are two rationales. We sometimes think the purpose of a public school is to make sure that regardless of income or wealth, every child has an opportunity for an education. And that is a very important reason. But there is a further reason, a, a further ideal behind the whole idea of the common school, and that is to cultivate a common citizenship, to bring young people from different walks of life, different social backgrounds together in a common place to contend with one another, to learn from one another, to bump up against one another. And my fear, my greatest fear about the market society that we are becoming is that the more money matters, the the more commonality can be eroded. Democracy does not require perfect equality, but it does require that men and women from different backgrounds, different walks of life, encounter one another in the ordinary course of life, bump up against one another. And the more we are segmented by economic class, I call it the skyboxification of American life, Mm -hmm. the affluent... We retreat to skyboxes, and even going to a baseball game is no longer the shared civic experience it was when ceos and mailroom clerks sat side by side uh, you know in in uh, in a baseball stadium and so that i think is really what's at stake have we uh, we need to recreate the civic infrastructure of a shared democratic life and that means figuring out where markets belong and where they should be reined in and give way to other values.
0: So finally, before we go, I suspect then, based on what you're saying, the whole Citizens United approach to campaign financing and the way money is going to have an impact on this election is is essentially an ending of the American democratic uh, contract.
1: I think the Citizens United decision was one further step in the direction of marketizing everything, including – democracy, it's interesting. No one will defend outright a free market in votes. But why not, if you follow the purely economic rationale, why not? There are many people who don't vote. Why force them to let their votes go to waste? Why not let them sell them to the highest bidder? We know there are people who would like to buy them. And yet even the most ardent, laissez-faire free market advocates do not advocate an open free market in votes, and yet our system of campaign finance amounts now to something approaching uh, extending market principles even to the ballot box, and that, I think, is corrosive of democracy, the reach, the overreach of markets uh, into civic life, into defining what citizenship is ultimately about.
0: Well, that's extraordinary. Are we on the way there? We'd love to know what you think. 8778 might take or post a comment at thetakeaway.org. We've been talking with Michael Sandel, professor of political philosophy at Harvard University and author of What Money Can't Buy? The Moral Limits of Markets. Thanks so much, Michael. Thank you.